Welcome to Port City Politics. I'm WHQR News Director Ben Shockman. And I'm WECT investigative reporter Michael Pratt. And we've got a lot to get to on this episode, so we're going to start out talking about the Proud Boys, and then we're going to get to the EPA, and we've got a bunch of housekeeping to do. Let's start with your story about the uh, the Proud Boys. You had one, I believe it was on Thursday, uh, after speaking with the district attorney, and we've seen the Proud Boys. A, uh, I don't even know how they describe themselves. You know more about this group, so I'll let you use the language to describe them. But they have shown up at a lot of school board meetings. We've seen them across the country in the January 6th uh, attack on the Capitol. We saw uh, Proud Boy presence. We've seen some arrests actually come from some of the highest ranking leaders of this group. Uh, right wing, I don't know if we call them militant organization. You you describe them. Yeah, I've, I've held short of calling them militant because unlike some of the other groups like the Three Percenters and the Oath Keepers, they're not so much on the gun fetish. In mm-hmm. fact, I've never seen one carrying a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been calling them a neo-fascist group, which okay. people, some people really don't like, and I really don't care. Um, because fa- the basic idea of fascism is that there isn't really a solid, consistent internal philosophy. Mostly, mm-hmm. it's, it literally comes from the Italian for a bundle of sticks, because mm-hmm. it, bund- it was a bundle of far-right groups in Italy mm-hmm. that were held together by their common hatred of everyone else. Right. And that's kind of the Proud Boys. Yeah. Um, and their main M.O., is trolling people. Yeah. They are very good. And in fact, the Cape Fear chapter of the Proud Boys um, appears to have some kind of legal counsel. I don't, I'm not saying one of them is an attorney, but they're very well versed on both local ordinances and state law and mm-hmm. the First Amendment. And so they're very good at skirting right up to the line of breaking the law, mm-hmm. but not crossing it. Um, except. And, except in this case, right? So this stems from a question someone asked me last week after the uh, New Hanover County Board of Education meeting. Proud Boys were there. Mm -hmm. And someone mentioned that there was a 1953 law that bans wearing masks on government property. Yes. And actually, let's uh, backtrack just a second for those who might not have watched the meeting. Uh, What were they attending this meeting for? So people know what they were there protesting against. Uh, Yes. One of the Proud Boys' uh, most favorite um, targets is anything having to do with transgender rights and the transgender community. So last week's uh, school board meeting was talking about the middle school policy for how or if they're going to allow transgender athletes to participate. The Proud Boys were there to to protest that. Got it. Okay. Okay. So uh, this is a 1953 law passed. And you got to imagine, this is 1953 Mm -hmm. in North Carolina. Yeah. Right. So pretty conservative. The Democratic and Republican parties were quite different back then, but conservative white values values in the general assembly even for them the clan was too much yeah um and so this law you can think of it as an analog to laws that ban firearms on government properties Mm -hmm. so yes you have the first amendment you have the second amendment but when you get on government property those get curtailed quite a bit right okay so the law basically said it's really short it's like one it's one paragraph Mm -hmm. and it says you can't wear a mask in a hood so you know who they're talking about Uh, You can't wear a mask and a hood to conceal your identity on government property. Got it. Okay, so for 67 years, that law's on the books. I I can't imagine it was actually prosecuted that much Mm -hmm. in, like, the deep rural south. Yeah. But it's on the books. Then the pandemic hits. Mm -hmm. And this is where things got interesting because I had seen a lot of right-wing trolls um, mocking people for saying, you and your stupid mask mandates, you're the reason the Proud Boys are allowed to wear their masks. Mm -hmm. And what they're referring to is a 2020 law 
um, because all of a sudden, you know, public health officials and counties are looking at doing mask mandates. Right. But there's this law in the books that says you can't wear a mask on government property. And of course, one of the most crowded places we saw in the pandemic was government meetings, ironically, to debate whether or not to wear masks. Yes. So the General Assembly in 2020, uh, with broad bipartisan support, passed a law that said, okay, you can wear a mask for public health reasons. Mm-hmm. It's actually like a, like eight or nine different reasons. Right. Like if you're on a motorcycle and you want to wear a helmet or if you like and you pull up on government property. Right. Or if you're say you're an electrician doing like welding work or something. Yeah. Yeah. You can you can't not wear a mask because of this anti-Klan law. Like safety first, guys. Right. So but the law is is, is clear. It says, you know, Wearing a mask for public health purposes. And at the time, there was legal reviews by the UNC School of Government, Bloomberg Mm -hmm. Law, a bunch of other places that said, yeah, this is really clear. Mask for public health? Yes. Mask to conceal your identity? No. Got it. Okay. So for all the trolls who thought that this was like some karmic revenge for mask mandates, no, that's not how the law works. Mm -hmm. Which led me to the question, if the law still on the books has never been repealed and is not impacted by this 2020 pandemic law, why are the Proud Boys allowed to show up masked for anonymity? Well, my question is this, and I think a, a lot of people do have this question. If you're claiming it's for public health, um, is there any way to dispute that? I mean, I think the the optics of it are they don't want people to see their face, which is very ironic to me with the name Proud Boys. If you're proud of what you're doing, why conceal your identity? Um, you know, that that doesn't really makes sense to me one one does cancels out the other you can't be proud and ashamed of who you are by covering your face yeah so here at whqr we had three members of the cape fear proud boys chapter mm-hmm. um for an extended two-hour interview that we have not released because it is largely gobbledygook and nonsense right these guys we, the public would not have learned anything right with with the possible exception of their defense of wearing masks mm-hmm. where they talked about how they were concerned that liberal ant, uh, activists specifically antifa which is not a real organization. But, yeah, there are people on the left who, I don't know, might dox them, mm-hmm. right, who might uh, try and blow up their businesses on Facebook and what's called review bomb their businesses, mm-hmm. you know, just repeatedly give them zero-star or one-star reviews. Right. But I have to say, these are grown men, um, and, and some of them are, are big dudes. Mm-hmm. So physical safety doesn't seem to be a legitimate concern. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, the sheer number of right-leaning and then even far-right people who have said some really controversial, problematic, and in some cases outright offensive stuff mm-hmm. at public meetings, giving their name. Mm-hmm. I'll give you one example. Natasha Two, mm-hmm. um, uh, not friend of the show because uh, we haven't had her on, but she's been to uh, board of commissioners meetings, school board meetings, very outspoken, has accused people of some pretty ridiculous stuff, mm-hmm. um, but very outspoken, was a city employee. Mm-hmm. Um, the city did not retaliate against her. She quit of her own court eventually. Yep. Um, but that was after years of, of public meetings. She had no problem giving her name. Right. You know, and, and speaking public. So, uh, or I think, you know, Libby Dunn, who was going to run for county commissioner, or Gail Major, any, all of these, you know, right-leaning and far-right people who had no problem mm-hmm. giving, <laughs> giving their name and engaging with people on social media. So, it, for me, it... That excuse doesn't just doesn't track. But here's all right, so here's the important part, though. So we went to the sheriff and we, we asked about all this. Right. Mm-hmm. And at first, you know, they kind of said they weren't they weren't even really that familiar with the law. Um, I take that for what it is. 
Uh, but they they were more concerned with saying, like, look, we actually get more problems from the left than we do from the right. The Proud Boys aren't hurting anybody. We haven't heard any complaints. Have, we haven't heard anyone who's intimidated. And, you know, we said, okay. And then we're, to round out the story, we went to Ben David. And we asked, have you given any legal guidance? Because I was thinking about last year when the sheriff's office brought the DA, those nine books that parents had challenged. Mm-hmm. And Ben David wrote a, a formal sort of memo giving his legal analysis. Um, so right. We were wondering if he'd done something similar, and he had. Mm-hmm. Uh, the timeline's a little un- is a little convoluted, but basically we talked to the sheriff. Uh, we talked to the district attorney. He told us he had sent this letter to the sheriff and, and shared it with us. Mm-hmm. And the letter is pretty clear. Uh, and you can, you can read the whole thing online. I won't go line for line with it. But it makes a couple of important points. One is that the mask is the crime. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be, like, masked and anonymous and having a weapon and assaulting someone right. and intimidating someone. Just wearing the mask on government property to conceal your identity is the crime. Mm-hmm. That's 14-12.8, I believe. Yep. So that's thing one. Thing two is no one at the meeting has to feel intimidated. The point of the law is who's not showing up at the meeting because they're intimidated. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, getting, like, show of hands who here at the, at the, at the meeting is intimidated. No one has to report that, hey, I was at the school board meeting and I felt uncomfortable. That's not how the law works. Right. The third thing is it doesn't matter if everyone at the meeting is okay with the Proud Boys. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't matter if the entire school board, all seven members, are okay with it, although I'm pretty sure there's at least two or three people who are not. Yeah. Because you got to imagine, back in 1953, there were probably some times where the Klan showed up at, say, a county commission meeting in, in, let's just say, Scotland County. Yeah. And no one minded (laughs) because they all knew who they were. And uh, they were neighbors and went to the same church. Mm-hmm. But so, again, it, does, it doesn't matter um, what the board says, what anyone else there says. Uh, it's still illegal. And the last part is to, to this important question, right, because this is what the sheriff's office said, which was basically we're not going to get in a tit for tat match mm-hmm. with the Proud Boys because we're going to ask them why they're on the mask. They're going to even jokingly say, oh, I'm wearing it because of COVID, which is one of their favorite jokes. Right. Um, and then they're not going to be able to do anything. That's not true. What this what this letter says is that you're allowed to use the totality of circumstance. That's the legal language. Right. But it means the fact that Johnny Ringo, which is the fake name of the uh, the putative leader of this group, um, he's spoken publicly against mass mandates. He has publicly told people, WHQR, Star News, other people, that the only reason he wears a mask is to protect himself and his business from Antifa. Um, and that he believes, you know, the COVID mass mandates is BS. Right? Yeah. So you can take that into account and say this man is clearly lying if he says right. that uh, he's wearing the mask for safety. You can then ask him to remove his mask. And if he doesn't, you can arrest him for impeding an officer. Got it. So to play devil's advocate here, um, number one, again, my my thoughts on this are it's going to be difficult to prove that someone isn't legitimately concerned with their health. Even if they've talked, you know, bad about it in the past, they can say, oh, the science has changed. I now am a believer. And you can know that they're lying, that they're full of it, but it it's very difficult to prove that. And the burden of proof is going to be on the accuser, which would be the district attorney, uh, law enforcement first and foremost. Then you have issues with First Amendment lawsuits. So I understand the legal challenges it comes to enforcing these. Um, Secondly, the concerns about Antifa and the radical left, because let's 
put it out there and be very clear. There are groups on the left as well as the right who take similar stances and similar actions um, for their views and beliefs. So this is not necessarily just a right wing thing. And we've actually talked about it that if you go far left and far right enough, you kind of come back to the same point, and they they seem to be in agreement with a lot of things. It's the horseshoe theory, yeah. And I, and I and it's to your point, um, you don't have to be a proud boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to be on the far left or the far right to be the target of this behavior, right? Um, the the board members, um, the Stephanies, <laughs> Stephanie Crabill and Stephanie Adams, who I would say are center right and center left. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them are to my mind, too extreme in their politics, right. were both targeted by extremist groups right? Um, with hate mail, doxing, all, all kinds of stuff. And that's ultimately what led Stephanie Adams to not run for re-election. Mm-hmm. And my guess is will probably lead to Stephanie Crable not running for re-election, although I can't speak for her. So, yeah, that's definitely a thing. Um, and as far as the challenge, yeah, it, it could be challenging. Um, however, the... One of the suggestions that was made to me by a law enforcement officer from another county was that um, the TSA does this. Mm-hmm. When you go through, you can have your mask. Uh, they ask you to pull your mask down yeah. just for a second, just to check your ID, right? Mm-hmm. So there's nothing preventing law enforcement from just saying, like, hey, can you just pull your mask down for a second so they can see who you are? Yeah, and my question is, if you want to come into a board meeting, you know, you have to sign up to speak at a board meeting. Um, are there ways to I, – I don't know the answer to this, and I don't know if you do, but – um, can board meetings require you to sign in if you attend? I've been to some that do require that, and that you put down that uh, board of elections meeting, for example, that you come in, you fill out your name on a piece of paper. I don't know the legality of that. If you have to, I, I always do because I don't care if people know that I was at a meeting. Um, but I am curious as to if they could require that and you could get some of these names. My final question is... By the way, just real quick, they do require it. Mm. Uh, and you can put a BS name. One yep. of them signed in as Bubba. That might be legitimate. That might be his real name. No last name <laughs> like Madonna, just Bubba. Uh, so my my final thought on the Proud Boys is... Um, We've seen a lot, and and to be clear, there's a lot of far-right groups who are vehemently anti-government, anti-police, anti-military, and they they go way off. We saw that with the the groups out uh, of—there was one out of North Georgia. um, I can't remember the name of it. uh, The group in Michigan that uh, I believe was planning to kidnap the governor or something like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, They get pretty anti-cop as well. But for what I've seen, the right wing and the— not far, far right, um, but bordering on the edge of far right before you get to that anti-government, complete hate for the government. Um, they seem to be supporters of the cops. So I got a question whether or not the police are unwilling to enforce this because these are their supporters, um, by and large. If I'm wrong, I, I welcome anybody to reach out to me and say, no, I don't support the thin blue line. Um I don't have a Punisher logo sticker on my pickup truck. I bet you do. Um, so there's, you know, there's questions about that as to whether or not the police are not enforcing this because these are their supporters. They know that at the end of the day, if things pop off, more than likely, unless you have a January 6th situation, these people aren't going to be attacking cops. Yeah, and we have seen some deputies be very friendly with the Proud Boys. They've obviously seen them repeatedly at, you know, multiple meetings. 
Um, and, and again, in our conversation, our long conversation with the Proud Boys, mm-hmm. they were very pro-law enforcement and I would say moderately anti-government. Yeah. Um, and during Tuesday's meeting, I was standing directly in front of like two dozen Proud Boys and was listening to the kind of stuff they were saying, you know, and they were making snide remarks and jokes. Um, they did, uh, I don't want to use the word threat, but they said a lot of uh, strongly critical stuff about um, government officials. At one point, the Board of Education was debating whether or not to allow additional people to speak. They have a call to the audience section that's supposed to be, I think it's it's 30 speakers because it's two minutes. So on paper, that's an hour. Right. It's never done in an hour. But I think a whole 50 people had signed up. So they were talking about whether or not to allow more. And one of the board members, a, conser- a very conservative board member, suggested you know maybe not doing that or maybe making them speak at the end of the meeting. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Proud Boys were not happy. They were shouting censorship and you're, it's your job to listen to us. And if, I think one said, this is a quote, uh, it's your job to listen to the public and if that's inconvenient for you, we can replace you mm-hmm. um, or we can remove you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's typical Proud Boy MO because you could construe that as a threat or you could also just say, yeah, we'll remove you by voting you out. Yeah, exactly. So that's Again, it's problematic, and I am looking it up right now, so it's not, you know, us saying these things. Uh, They've been designated as a terrorist group in Canada. Um, I don't believe that's the case in the United States. Yeah, just real quick, um, because people said this a lot, so I want to put a note on this. There is no such thing as a domestic terrorism group in the United States. There is no law that allows you, and what I mean by that is that there, like Timothy McVeigh, Mm -hmm. right, was, you know, that was a weapon of mass destruction, causing mayhem, murder, uh, illegal possession of explosives, all that stuff. But like domestic terrorism is not a charge that we have right now. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's important is that if you are a member of a foreign terrorist group, mm-hmm. right, uh, Al-Shabaab, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, mm-hmm. just by uh, membership in that group, you can be detained um, at a black site by the CIA indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Your, your habeas corpus rights can be, you know, um, extinguished right. indefinitely. Um, just by your, and that's not the case in in the uh, in the United States. Even you know, people will say like, "Oh, the Klan is a is a terrorist organization." You can be a member of the Ku Klux Klan, walk mm-hmm. down the middle of the street during a parade. No one can arrest you just for being a member of the Klan. So in that sense, right, where like being a member of a known terrorist group, um, in being a member of a known foreign terrorist group, mm-hmm. puts you in the crosshairs of international law enforcement, intelligence agencies, the military. Right. That's not the case with stuff that people colloquially call uh, domestic terror groups. Same as a gang. You Bloods, Crips, anything. Totally illegal. disciples. Until you commit a actual crime and are, you know, proven guilty of that, being a member of it is not in and of itself illegal. Yeah. Um, so the last thing to say about this is that after we um, – after we talked to Ben David and read his letter, we went back to the sheriff's office because, to be fair, we had interviewed them before they had gotten this guidance from Ben David. Mm-hmm. And Ben David was clear. He's, he was saying the letter was not to chastise the sheriff's office or say they had been doing this all wrong. Right. He was just, you know, Ed McMahon called Ben David, asked for guidance, and so Ben David provided it. So he said this is strictly starting Wednesday going forward. Got it. Right. So this was not a condemnation of the sheriff's past actions. Mm-hmm. So before we published the story, we thought it was important to go back to the sheriff's office and say, and say, having received this new guidance, does this change the way you'll be interacting with the Proud Boys? And they said absolutely not. Interesting. So I guess that's kind of where we are. No action uh, from the sheriff's office. Again, 
I'm I'm very curious to see if uh, Ben David would even go f- through the efforts of prosecuting something like this. Maybe on paper he's saying yes, it's illegal um, for you know the the purpose of elections, for the purpose of appearances. But he might have said it's going to be real difficult to prove this, and we all know that DAs across the state aren't willing to prosecute cases that they don't believe in their heart that they can win. Um, So again, I just got to challenge and question whether or not that because of the 2020 law, proving that somebody isn't validly concerned for their health risks, um, it just seems super difficult. It doesn't mean I like it. It doesn't mean I approve of what's going on. But uh, from a purely legal perspective, I do uh, question that. So I think that's kind of a good place to leave that. And did you want to touch on the EPA lawsuit real quickly? We saw this uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, somewhere in, the, in that earlier time this week, earlier this week, I believe it was Tuesday. Yeah. And this is, um, you know, this is there was no big development this week, but it's worth touching on this because of really what happened. And this this goes back to the Trump administration, Mm -hmm. when a consortium of local environmental groups sued the Trump EPA, Mm -hmm. asking them to require Chemors, the Chemors Corporation, to test for, I believe it is 54? 54 different PFAS chemicals. Different uh, pre- and polyfluorinated Chemicals. Yeah, I just call them PFAS. At I think this I point. butchered that. Yeah. So scientists, I am sorry. I'm a liberal <laughs> arts major. Um, but PFAS, you know what we're talking about. Yes. Gen X is one of many PFAS chemicals. Yes. So, um, and and the vibe was basically they sued the Trump Environmental Protection Agency, uh, and the EPA said no. Right. right. Actually, they didn't sue. They they petitioned. Right. The EPA first, and the EPA said no, which was disappointing, but in no way shocking. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of liberal environmental activists were surprised that the industry friendly Trump EPA said no. Right. So they 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 were going to file a lawsuit. I believe they actually did file a lawsuit, but they, they basically knew they were going to hang in there until the uh, once it became clear that Biden was going to be the new president. Right. They thought things are definitely going to be better under the Biden administration. And when Michael Regan, the former head of the North Carolina Department of Environment, uh, environmental quality yep. became the EPA head. They're like, oh yeah, we got this in the bag. Right. So they were a little bit surprised and a little bit expletive deleted <laughs> uh, when the EPA kind of screwed with them a little bit. Yeah. So the petition, as you had mentioned, uh, it it called for the testing of these 54 PFAS chemicals, and it really what it, what the main focus was was to force chemors to conduct human health impact studies. Um, I believe that's the term. Don't quote me on that. But human health studies, epidemiological studies to test people's blood. And this comes from, I believe, precedents about the C8 uh, chemicals that were found, I believe, in Ohio is where this probably, I think, took place. Uh, Basically, going through find grabbing people's blood who are willing, not being vampires and just stealing people's blood, uh, getting willing participants to give their blood to test to see if there are any, uh, you know, what the levels of PFAS in your blood might be, if you have any health effects, if you have cancer, if you have, you know, you're on dialysis, if you have a number of different challenges, then when you get a large enough sample size, this goes down to science, when you get and, and when you get all these people 
lined up and if you get thousands of people willing to donate their blood for medical science, vial or two, you can then connect the dots and, you know, you can at least prove uh, a correlation, if not causation. Um, so that is what they asked for. There was also there was one other thing, too, which and that, and that was the the tests that have been suggested in the past were looking at each individual PFOS chemical. Right. But there are dozens in the Cape Fear River. Yeah. Um, and there are, you know, some are actually, you know, spillover of, of products like Gen X, mm-hmm. which are made on purpose right? Uh, as part of a process to make a Teflon-type chemical. Right. And some are just byproducts. But one of the things that, you know, Clean Cape Fear and some other groups wanted was we want you to look at what happens with different combinations of them. Mm-hmm. And this is not a perfect analogy, but, you know, many of the drug cocktails that people take, anesthesia mm-hmm. uh, or the abortion pill, are, are multiple chemicals acting in unison, and there's sort of a more-than-the-sum-of-its-parts type effect. So the, the question is, if you get, you know, 10 micrograms of one chemical or 10 grams of the other chemical, is that the same as five of each, mm-hmm. or does five and five add up to more than 10? Right. Which is English major math for sure. But you get the point. Is is there, a, you know, some kind of even worse effect when you have multiple PFAS in your system? So that's the other thing they were asking for. Yeah. And to be fair, you know, just anecdotally, there are, there's a lot of science. And just to put that in perspective, uh, chlorine bleach, it's toxic, obviously, but it's it's a safe cleaning product for the most part, provided you wear proper PPE. So is ammonia. You mix the two together. You get mustard gas. Yes. As, so, a, ch- as a child, I once uh, was um, grounded and had to clean the bathroom, and I didn't know how to clean stuff, so I just used all of the cleaning chemicals, and I made myself very sick. Yeah. So, you know, these things, it's very real to have these chemical reactions when you're mixing multiple different things. Uh, basically, though, long story short, the EPA came in and said, yes, we're approving your petition now. Um But what they approved is not exactly what this coalition of environmental groups asked for. There's no human health impact studies. They are testing seven different PFAS that the groups say was already underway within the EPA um, because there are like 6,000 in total PFAS. Um, They're basically taking a 30,000-foot look and saying, okay, this molecule is similar to this molecule, so, you know, we'll test this one see what it is, and then based on the data, we can extrapolate what the health impacts might be. Um, not to fault the science, because I am not a scientist, and that is, you know, I'm sure that's a valid way of testing things. Testing 6,000 different chemicals is going to be really tricky. Um, so getting that bigger scope makes sense, but the the lawsuit came down to the, the coalition is suing the EPA, saying, no, you did not actually approve our petition you approved something wildly different and did it for uh, for posture here. So the judge heard the arguments. Uh, to be fair, just based off my own opinion, he was asking a lot of tough questions of the coalition. And again, this is a, a judge who lives in the Cape Fear region. He's, he's based here. He's a federal judge, but he is you know living here. And he said, I'm very sympathetic to this. I want to know what's in my water too. But at the same time, as a judge, which is a very good thing for democracy in general and our justice system. He says, I can't let my emotions cloud this. The question is whether or not the EPA actually approve your petition. You don't get to necessarily say, this is what we demand. 
you asked for testing. They said we're going to do testing just because they didn't do it your way doesn't mean that they didn't approve it. And that's what the groups are going to have to prove. And that's essentially what they tried to argue in court. The judge will probably issue a written order possibly today, probably next week. Yeah. So just like, uh, one thing I do want to say about this is that in 2017, when the Gen X story first broke, we talked to a number of toxicologists and epidemiologists about what is it going to take to figure out how dangerous just Gen X was? Mm -hmm. Just one of the 6,000 chemicals. Right. And they were talking about, you know, starting with uh, small rodent studies, working their way up to, um, you know, primates and then to humans. And I know that, you know, animal rights activists will be very disappointed by that. Um, but that's the current medical process. So they were talking about 10 years mm -hmm. to get some answers on the, on the toxicity of just Gen X. Right. And I said, oh, my God, but there's thousands of, PFOS chemicals, like how are we possibly, is it going to take 60,000 years? Like, right. how are we going to do this? And one of the things, and again, these were toxicologists who were very much, um, you know, uh, angry at chemors, were, were not team chemors at all. They were working for, you know, state universities, mm -hmm. private universities. They were, there's no industrial capture here. These people right. were very explicit. They thought chemors was a bad actor and that they were doing everything they could to prove that chemors was a bad actor. Because at the time, there was some debate about just how dangerous Gen X was. Right. So they, what they suggested was doing this kind of categorical approach is saying, yes, there are 6,000 PFAS, but many of them are very, very similar and react um, with the endocrine system and other parts of the human biology very similarly. Right. So the only sensible way to get data on 6,000 chemicals is, mm -hmm. is to break it down like this. And so we've talked to people who think the EPA is doing a great job. Obviously, we've talked to some of these groups that think the EPA is screwing this all up. But I think a more measured criticism of the EPA is that they have repeatedly put on um, a show. Mm -hmm. And here's what I mean. The main criticism of, of the way the EPA went about this was that they, they called it gaslighting. They called it smoke and mirrors. They felt it was disingenuous. Some people said they were lying in that they should have just said, we can't approve your petition mm -hmm. because that's not a sensible way to do the science. Right. We have to do it this way. But instead, they wanted the good PR mm -hmm. of saying that they had listened to these environmental groups while not actually doing what the environmental groups had asked for. They mm -hmm. tried to have it both ways. Right. And that kind of disingenuousness is a surefire way to, to tick everyone off. So that's the other thing is, and this is closely related, is that the EPA recently came out with uh, stricter guidance mm -hmm. for what levels of Gen X and a few other chemicals are acceptable mm -hmm. in the water. And they are order, I believe it's a full order of magnitude smaller than we can actually test for. Mm -hmm. And so what the EPA is saying is that they, they couldn't say zero because you can never say zero. Right. Because God's help you, there might be a single part, a single molecule right. of PFAS. Right. Around. But they made the level so low because it sounds good. Right. Right. We, you know, we've decreased the level of acceptable PFAS by 100, mm -hmm. except that no one can test for it. And we asked uh, CFPUA, for example, and they you know, they were a little bit miffed, like, we can't even, we can't say that. Mm -hmm. We can't say that we've reduced it to that level because the no, no accepted, reliable scientific method for testing the levels mm -hmm. to that level of scarcity exists. Right. And again, so this was something that was done for show, people feel like. Right. Um, I, in my lay opinion, I feel that, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing what I've heard from what are utility people, from scientists, even from some activists. So the criticism of Michael Regan's EPA has been, 
not that they aren't doing stuff, not that they aren't orders of magnitude more interested in this than the Trump EPA, mm-hmm. but that they are addicted to good PR. Right. And that's, you know, sometimes that's just not the most important thing you should be doing as a government agency. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's a good place to leave that. And let's take a quick break, come back and do a supermarket sweep, quick dash uh, for a few different items that we also looked at this week and are upcoming. Okay, sounds good. Welcome back to Port City Politics. I'm WHQR News Director Ben Shockman. And I'm WECT investigative reporter Michael Pratz. And we've got a quick second half just to do, as Pratt said, a supermarket sweep of stuff that went on this week and, and is coming up next week. All right. Well, let's start with, where do you want to start? Let's start with real quick update. Uh, you will remember several months ago, we had a long conversation about a lawsuit filed against uh, WPD Chief Donnie Williams, Sheriff Ed McMahon, and District Attorney uh, Ben David, and a couple other people, mm-hmm. and their representative institutions, by the former director of the Wilmington Crime Lab. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is still ongoing. They are in the discovery phase. This is going to take a long time. You will hear more about this, um, but not much is going on now. One notable development is that the the portion of the suit against Ben David in mm-hmm. his personal and professional capacity has been dismissed by uh, Judge Cobb. And so that he is no longer part of that suit. We spoke to him. Um, he said that he always felt that the case was baseless and would have been dismissed had it gone to trial. Mm-hmm. So that part of the suit is over. Everything else is still moving forward. Um, one other minor note is that one of the first things government agencies always do when they are sued, and I don't, I don't mean that cynically, it's just the legal process, right. is they claim sovereign immunity. Right. And um, But if you have insurance uh, to cover something, for example, if you have wrongful termination insurance or malpractice mm-hmm. insurance or uh, workman's comp insurance, then you can't claim sovereign immunity for that. So the courts have decided that um, the sovereign immunity defense will not stop this suit from going forward. So mm-hmm. that's just a hurdle that any case against the government has to clear, and this case has cleared that. All right. Next. Cedric. Cedric Harrison. Cedric Harrison. Uh, so one year ago, Cedric Harrison, um, first of all, he was at a Celebration of Life event when he was shot in the face. Yeah. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's fair to say the community really rallied around him. Absolutely. Uh, but it had raised his profile at the exact same time that Julia Olson Bozeman called a $40 million audible, um, basically just surprising her own fellow commissioners and uh, everyone else at a joint meeting of the Board of Commissioners and Board of Education and decided to put $40 million into addressing community violence. And this was on the heels of a, uh, a tragic but thankfully not fatal shooting at New Hanover High School. Mm-hmm. And basically dropped $40 million in um, uh, Chris Kudre's lap. It was initially an unlimited check, and thankfully uh, our, our fiscal conservatism hats off to Rob Zappel and Jonathan Barfield yeah. for reining that in. Uh, but basically Chris Kudre, county manager, was um, all of a sudden in charge of solving community violence. Yeah, written a blank check, and um, just because I know we'll get angry emails from the county um, – the plan was apparently not to use all $40 million. It was just to give access to that $40 million. Well, initially it was up to $350 million. Yeah. So that got scaled way down. Right. And and, and to the good. And there was no oversight. I, I even asked about this, and uh, Commissioner Rob Zappel didn't realize what he 
what this actually meant because I came through and I said, listen, you're not even going to have to vote to approve any of this funds if the county manager decides that's where he wants to spend it. He was like, no, 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 that's not what we voted for. I said, yes, it is. It really was. And that's when they kind of reined it back in. Um, So Cedric was appointed the chair or director. The director of Port City United. Which was modeled after the Bull City United uh, community effort, multifaceted effort to address community violence, both education, prevention, uh, you know, react reactive dealing with people on the streets. I think everybody agrees community violence is a bad thing. They want to feel safe where they live and doing what you can to stop it is a good thing. Uh, So that's what this organization was. Cedric was appointed as the director and was making a comfortable six-figure salary. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So this again, based off Bull City United in Durham, this is the uh, Cure Violence Global Model uh, they pulled a bunch of employees from True Colors, which was doing something similar, while also not brewing beer, because that never actually really happened. Um, but, yeah, so Cedric, let me just say this. Cedric was fired. I think everyone knows that at this point. That's mm-hmm. the reason we're talking about this. We didn't mean to bury the lead. But Cedric was fired last week, and it was clear that he was not good at being a bureaucrat. Mm-hmm. And if you know Cedric personally, you know that that's not his personality type. But in general, I think it was clear that this was a new department and they were hiring someone with no experience running a government department. So there were going to be some challenges. Um, you know, Cedric did jokingly or not jokingly uh, talk trash about Port City Daily during his first public appearance, saying he didn't like Port City Daily because they put his salary in the paper. And that's just an indication that he, you know, maybe hadn't really fully thought through what it means to work for the government. Right. And one is that your 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 professional life is now very public. All your mm-hmm. emails are public. I've read tons of them. Your salary is public. You know, he started at 118 something and I think he ended at $128,000 a year. Um, but also there's a lot of dumb bureaucratic stuff you have to do. Mm-hmm. And I say that with all respect to the county, but one of the things Cedric was uh, did not do well was there was some kind of, I believe it was monthly or semi-monthly report and it, it sounded like busy work to me. I'm just being really honest here. Um, mm-hmm. And it was like, name five ways your department is like living up to the county's standards. Or mm-hmm. like, I think the county has like five nouns where it's like resilience and dependability. And it, it just seemed like bureaucratic paperwork. Yeah, buzzwords. Buzzwords. And uh, yeah, Cedric Cedric was not good at doing that. So anyways, that's that's kind of where that is. Um, don't know where the, uh, where the cards will fall here. But yeah. um, I do want to say two super quick things. One... Um, People have suggested online that we uh, that the county had put Cedric on blast by putting out by giving the media his termination letter. Um, you can say what you want about the termination letter. You can read it on on WECT or WHQR. Mm-hmm. But we did have to fight with them to get it. They initially sent out some very vague, jargony language about Cedric having been uh, dismissed after an extended uh, trial period or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really had to go round and round and be like, by that, do you mean fired? Is that is that in any way different than fired? And they said no. And I'm like, why? I'm not going to die on that hill. But I don't know why you didn't just say that. But then we had to ask for the termination letter. So they didn't just put that out to the media. Right. Um, and the second thing is uh, some people have said, regardless of what they feel about Cedric or his performance, why aren't we seeing that level of scrutiny on other people? And sometimes there was a racial component to this about why so much scrutiny on a black man mm-hmm. and not on, say, uh, I don't. I don't know. Outgoing uh, health director David Howard, who recently left the county and took a pay cut to go yep. to Brunswick County, yep. um, or Donna Faco, or anyone else, right? And it's because 
when you are terminated, uh, that, that letter becomes public. And it usually, if you remember Philip Tart, who was fired from the county, uh, included a very long laundry list of all the bad things that he had done. Um, it, it really makes you look bad in a very public way. Mm-hmm. But up until that point, almost everything you do is protected by personnel law. Right. So there was one minor issue where uh, the county had paid around ten grand, I believe, mm-hmm. to, to get a professional coach to come in and try and help Cedric be a bureaucrat. And um, it didn't work. But we asked, is anyone else getting that kind of training? Is anyone else on this probationary hire period? And uh, that, it's, all, it's all wrapped up in personnel law. So yep. Pratt and I would love, love that kind of transparency into every county employee making more than uh, 100K. Yeah. But it, it's, it's blocked by North Carolina's notoriously opaque personnel law. Yeah, exactly. Uh, final one. Final one. Talk about a story that we have coming up. Uh, you and I are both working on this. Just going to go real brief because we'll we'll run it down next week. Um, basically, we're looking into the North Carolina State Bar because as we've seen locally, there are some bad actor attorneys or at least attorneys accused of being bad actors. And I can say confidently there are some um, that have been disciplined by the State Bar. However, the transparency, once again, going to transparency, is abysmal from the State Bar you don't get to know if there's grievances filed against your attorney and the problems that that creates means if your attorney's been accused of embezzling money, you are still able to hire that person and you could become a victim yourself. So we're trying to get to the bottom of this, what protection safeguards are in place. And the other problem with this is um, you look at the disciplinary hearings pending right now, there's some going back three years. so this is not a quick and speedy trial. Um, to be fair, it's not a trial. It's a administrative, administrative review and hearing. <laughs> uh, it is quasi-judicial. The state bar acts as a grand jury, essentially. They even put that on their website uh, to determine whether or not there's enough to be bringing, quote-unquote, charges against these attorneys, whether or not the grievances are uh, legitimate or just gripes from disgruntled clients who didn't get things their way. We're going to take a deep dive look at this, talk with some people who have been impacted by bad attorneys, by bad actors. Um, So that's kind of where we can leave that and say what we want right now. I did speak with Representative Deb Butler, who is an attorney herself, uh, about this. I'm hoping to speak with State Senator Michael Lee. Uh, And again, we're going to talk to clients who have been burned by bad attorneys. Yeah, um, but that's just a teaser. You'll have more on that next week. All right. All right, and speaking of next week, we'll see you next week. All right, see you then.